Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for coming. Um, we're going to start off this morning with a quick VBS video recap.
There once was an old farmer who had two sons. The younger one was fed up with working on the farm. There's the younger one. All right. And thank you to everyone who helped with VBS this year. I'm sure we've said it before, but thank you very much. We also have the new church directories. They are available at the Welcome Center. Um, so if you want that information, it's available there. Um, and then mark your calendars. There's a Keepers of the Faith concert on Tuesday, August 23rd, 7 o'clock. Um, I'm assuming that's here. Mm-hmm. All right, here in the building. And it, there's a little note that says, invite your friends. So do that. Um, and then we are going to have another little video this morning uh, regarding Operation Christmas Child. And then, Patty, as soon as that's done, if you want to say a couple words. It all goes great with a glass of milk. Packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. Okay, let's be honest. Packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox can go great with anything. It's so that other kids can learn about Jesus. Praise the Lord. Oh, and it's also a great way to teach your own kids about giving. Teach your kids about giving. Have a great day. Oh, and don't forget, make good choices. So basically, you get an empty box, which any box will work. Really? Okay, not any box. Much better. Okay, so now you have your empty box. Now you can pick the age range, and if you want it before a boy or a girl. Okay, come on. Please be a boy. Please be a boy. Well, looks like we're going to be packing for a boy this year. First, you can choose a wow item, such as a soccer ball or a stuffed animal. Mm. And you can choose other fun toys, too. Hygiene items. And school supplies. There are, of course, some items you cannot pack. Like liquids. Food. Items related to war. Live animals. And don't even think about packing chocolate because it melts. No candy and no toothpaste. When your gift is finished, you can write a letter and include a photo. It gives it a nice personal touch. When your box is done, you can make your shipping donation online through Follow Your Box. Simply print off your tracking label to see where the destination of your gift will be. And don't forget, it's important to pray for the child that is receiving this gift. Because packing a box is a simple way to share the gospel with kids all around the world. Maybe even in... In Africa. Now that your box is done, it's time to get moving. Transport your box to a nearby drop-off location near you. These will be open all across the U.S. on National Collection Week, the third week in November. Drop it off and voila! You... Pack the shoebox. Easy as one, two, three. See you on National Collection Week! Hello, I'm Patty Miller. This year, the Samaritan Perth via Operation Christmas Child Collection Site will be here at Wishera Community Church. And as you saw, it's going to be November 14th through the 21st. So I would get everybody a chance to start shopping early if you would like to. Um, the shoeboxes that are provided are the, are the red and the green ones. That will be coming a little bit later. But you don't have to use one of those shoeboxes. If you have a child like mine who has a size 11 or 12 foot, you could use one of those as well. Again, it will be November 14th through the 21st. When the children get their book, or their box at the other end. It is actually by local Christian. Um, This book is called The Greatest Gifts. It is printed in their own language to help spread evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication of believers. This might be the first time this child has heard about Jesus. It's really awesome. 
not only to help a child in need, but also spread the gospel around the globe. One more personal light is that when the child receives this box again, um, it is prayed for by that person on the other end, and so that's so awesome. Um, so we do have uh, um, some things set up on the table in the foyer, some, some brochures of ideas of things that you can pack or things that you can't pack. So November 14th through the 21st here at Washera Community Church, you'll be seeing some, some times that we'll be having some collection dates, and you can bring your box in on Sundays as well. Thank you. All right. And then just to close the announcements here, there is um, uh, just a reminder that will be over here in the right front corner, southeast corner, um, in between services, prayer, a little prayer time, if you would like to participate in that. Then if we could have the ushers come forward. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for that rain that came last night that we needed so badly. We want to pray this morning for the Agris uh, and their mission, uh, their mission in Liberia. Lord, we pray that you would work through them um, and bring um, many people to you through their efforts and through the people that they work with. And also, Lord, here for us, help us to be a church that's a light for you, that we would honor and serve you not just here, but also throughout our week, throughout our jobs and with the people we contact. And Lord, also help us to be wise. Um, help us to use these tithes, these gifts uh, in your name. Bless this service today. Help us to be wholly engaged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to you, to hear your word. And um, Lord, uh, we do pray this morning specifically for Faye as she is receiving the care that she needs after this surgery. We pray that they work with those um, surgeons and, and doctors as they look at her and, and get everything regulated the right way, Lord. Um, we just put her continually into your hands. And we thank you for Marie and for that service yesterday and those that were able to gather and to remember Ken, and um, also to let the words um, of your of the Bible comfort us, Lord, during times like this. And Lord, this morning we we give this time to you as we open up the scriptures, as we look at something that is very important uh, to the life of any church. That we would be uh, that your word would instruct us, instruct us on how we are to live. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. I just have a few announcements before I get started. Uh, important announcements. One of them was, I was just pleased to see this. So this is a, I call it a standalone sermon. So in between chapters. So we got done with chapter one on First Peter last week, and we'll go to chapter two next week. But I noticed a lot of you brought your scripture journals in anyways. That's good. That's a good practice. Um, but it, there are sermon sheets, and I tried to get most of you, but if you need a sermon sheet for this morning, just raise up your hand and Usher will, will bring one to you. Uh, that's announcement number one. Announcement number two is I'm continuing to do those interviews with people. I've done 55 of them. Raise your hand if you've sat down and talked to me. Ah, okay, I'm, I'm shooting for 100 by the end of August. So the, the, the table is out there and just find a slot. And it, those are great times for me to get to know you and, and, and about our church that we have here. The last announcement is in the back of your seat, you'll see this flyer. And I actually want you to take this, take this flyer. Another part of this um, walking through this transition to together is to use a diagnostic tool called Ministry Insight Tool and what you do is you follow that link, and it will go to a survey, and you will fill out that survey. It'll take you about 20, 25 minutes. Um, it will ask you all kinds of questions, and once you get done with that, you'll be registered with the rest of the group. And for a church our size, a really good number of participants would be about 170, 170. So every week, I'll tell you, this will be open for four Sundays. For 
four lasting over four Sundays. So it's open throughout the week too, but four Sundays. And every week I'll tell you how many of you have, have uh, been on there. It's totally anonymous. Um, and then in September, in September, we'll have a report from it. Uh, we'll do a big, the survey says, and uh, it, it, it will help us as a church to see where we are collectively. And most likely it's going to show us like the areas that we need to work on as a church for greater church health. So you'll hear about this over and over and over again, but make sure to take one of these. I tried to include that in the Friday email also. If you're not getting the Friday email, let me know. Give me your email address. I'll get you on there every Friday. I send out an email about the coming weekend and just some things that are happening around the church. And so trying to make good communication. Okay, so this is a standalone sermon. This is a sermon where um, as we're going through this transition, there are some important things for us to found, or they're foundational for any church, any church. And so this one is on true Christian fellowship. And we will uh, start off in Philippians, if you want to flip there, Philippians chapter one is where we will start off. But um, I thought, well, okay, we're going to talk about fellowship see if I can find some fellowship songs. So I found some. Now, I know that print's kind of small, but back I'm going to take you back to the 1970s and Bill Gaither, okay? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. I really dated myself there, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Let me jump over the next. The middle one is another 70s song. But the last one, the last one is 1772. Okay, so that's really old, okay? That, that one you don't know? Um, this is a really interesting story behind this song. So 1772, there's a man named John Fawcett, who is a preacher, a young preacher in a small hamlet in England. And um, he's a good preacher, he's a good orator and everything. And, and some, some, some people came from London to hear him preach. And after they heard him preach, they said, would you consider coming to London to be our preacher? And uh, so he and his wife thought about it and prayed about it, and they talked to the church about it and everything. And so finally they decided that they would go to London to, to be the pastor of that church. So here he is on his last Sunday at this little hamlet, this little church in the hamlet, and he's, uh, he preaches his last sermon. Outside the door of the church, his wagon is all filled with all their possessions and everything. And so they get into the wagon to ride away to, the, to London, to the new church. And there is so much lament and weeping and crying from all the people in the church that uh, as they ride, ride away, they get down to the curve in the road and he turns and he looks at his wife and he says, what are we doing? And he turned the wagon around and he stayed there the rest of his life. And he wrote these words. So if you don't know this, you can just listen to me. But blessed be he the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And then the last verse. When we asunder part. It gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. And I know that last verse probably uh, pertains to when someone passes away and, and they're in heaven and someday to meet them again. I know that pertains to that, but I also think that pertains to the family of God right here that when we asunder part, when we leave at, you know, whenever the preacher gets done, when we leave whenever he gets done and we, and we go, there is a little bit of an inward pain 
that we would, but we're still joined in heart and we're longing that when we gather back together again next Sunday to be able to be in the same place with God's people. I, I, I tend to think it could go both ways there. So some questions. What is true Christian fellowship? Why is it important to the Christian and the church? What's the depth of our Christian fellowship? Do we need to stop being a friendly church? I know that's clickbait. Yeah. But as I talk to you, as I talk to other churches, that, like, that comes up in the conversation. We're a friendly church. We are a friendly church. That's, and so I try to dig a little bit deeper. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What, what made it friendly? You know, well, somebody smiled at me. Somebody shook my hand. Somebody made me feel welcome. So, you know, it was, it was a comfortable place to be and everything else. So, but, but I would hope that we would long to be a fellowship church. I mean, that's a great start. I would hope every church is a friendly church, but I see that as the bottom rung of the ladder, okay? That's the, that's the minimum that we should have, but we should long to be a fellowship church. So Philippians chapter one, I thought this was good because it gives us a picture of Paul with the Philippian church. He's in jail while he's writing this. Um, if you want to read about the interaction he has with the Philippian church, you go to uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 16, and you'll find it there. But this is when he went into Philippi. There's no synagogue there. He goes down to the river to find people praying. He meets a lady named Lydia. God opens up her eyes to understand the gospel, and she becomes a Christian. She opens up her home so the church could meet in her home. There's a slave girl that's there that um, is, is uh, bugging Paul and Silas like crazy. And he just kind of drives out the spirit out of her, the unclean spirit out of her. That gets Paul in trouble. Paul gets thrown into jail. And now you know where I'm going with this. Paul and Silas are at midnight. And what are they doing? They're singing. There's an earthquake. Uh, chains all fall off. The jailer thinks everybody has left. And they say, no, no, we're all here. We're all here. And then the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the, whole, the jailer and his family all get, all get saved. The authorities come out, find out that Paul was a Roman citizen. They shouldn't have thrown him in jail. And he's escorted out of the city. Okay, that's as long as he's there. Not very long. He'll go back there after his third missionary journey. But that's as long as he's there. And I think this is a really good picture of what true Christian fellowship looks like as he kind of pours out his heart to these people while he's in jail. So just walking through it, verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you. That's part of Christian fellowship, a remembrance because you are known. A remembrance because you are known. I had to put, you know, that old sitcom, Cheers. Um, and, and every time Norm would come into the bar, what would they do? Norm. Yeah, they would say Norm. They know his name. There's an old, he knows my name. He knows my every thought. Part of fellowship is that you are known. People know you. You know others. That's part of it. Verse four, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So here's a second part of fellowship. Another part of fellowship is joyful prayers for those who you are grateful for. There's a smile that comes across your face. And, and yes, we pray for those who are sick and afflicted, like we did for Faye this morning, but, but also that we have prayers of joy for the people that God has put around us. We are just so thankful for the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's another part of fellowship. Verse five, verse five says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's another part of fellowship is a part of something larger than yourself. You realize that you are a part of something larger than yourself. And he says, what is larger is the gospel. We are all part of that. We are all working together to share the message that King Jesus has come and he is coming again. And so fellowship is that we have that common cause. Verse six, he goes on to say, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's another part of fellowship, that we are a group to grow with in Christ Jesus. We're growing together in Christ Jesus. 
So we're going through the book of 1 Peter. We're going through 1 Peter together as we grow in Christ Jesus. That's there. And I put down there um, the one and others. This is an opportunity for us to practice the one and others with one another. So we love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, tenderhearted to one another, be ye kind to one another. Another thing in verse seven, as we're walking through, it's right for me, Paul says, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Here's another thing about fellowship. God's grace connects us at the heart. There's a deep connection we have with one another because we are brothers and sisters, because we all point to the cross. We all point to the cross and say we are saved because of that, of Jesus Christ. And we, we have that connection at the heart with one another. And then number eight, where he says, God can testify how, how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. How I long, how I long. I put down there, I can't wait for next Sunday. I can't wait for, why can't I wait for next Sunday? Because I get to worship God and I get to worship God with all of you. That's why I can't wait for next Sunday. Little story. So it was in a church in Gaylord, Michigan. And there was a young man who came through the doors of the church. He was saved, um, but he was single and he had just moved to the area and kind of got connected into the church. And, and he started to come to a Bible study that we, that we had. And during that Bible study, he said this. He said, you know, since I got saved, he said, my whole week has changed. Everything revolves around Sunday. Everything in my life, everything in my life, my whole schedule revolves around the next time we gather together as believers. Everything in my life runs around that. Wow. Can't wait for next Sunday. So I think this is a good picture, starting point, a good picture of fellowship or kind of getting a grasp on this, where you're known, where you're grateful for others, brings a smile to your face, where there's, uh, you realize that you're in a group that's part of larger, something larger than yourselves, the gospel, that you are growing together with others in Christ, that you, um, you're connected at the heart because of Jesus Christ, and you, can't, you long to be with these people. I think that's a really good picture of fellowship. Now, let's flip over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm a, as you will find out, I'm a simple guy, and I like things simple. And once I find something simple, then I apply it. It's easier for me to apply it. Well, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45, there are four foundational practices of a Christian church. I would also say there are four foundational practices of any group within the church. And this is how I look at a church. And this is how I look at a youth group. And this is how I look at a small group. And I say, are these things happening that are there? So in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's number one, to the fellowship, that's number two, to the breaking of bread, that's number three, and to prayer, that's number four. Then it goes on to say, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone who had need. So I look at these four and I say, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're, they're devoted to God's word. God's word um, is a high priority. They are devoted to the fellowship. They're devoted to one another, the church family. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now I take that as the worship of Christ. We take the bread and we take the cup and we remember what he has done. And so that just focus that worship of Christ. And then the fourth one, the practice of prayer, that prayer is happening in the church, communication to God. And I look at that and I look at a church and I look at youth group and I look at small groups and I look at that and say, are these four things happening in this group? And then the byproduct of it or result of such devotion is service. What comes out of all that devotion is they look around and, and, and they pull their stuff together. And if somebody's in need, what do they do? They reach out to that need. It's a byproduct of it. So 
I point that out because fellowship is one of them. This thing that we're talking about this morning is one of the foundational practices of the Christian church. Now, I found this, oh, I found this quote, and I have it in your sheet, but I've got it kind of broken up here. This was written, um, I'll probably butcher this name, Aristides is his name. He was a second century Christian philosopher who lived in Athens, and he addressed a famous apology. So he, he wrote this letter. He wrote this report in 125 AD. Now, 125 AD, if you click in your head, you go, okay, Jesus died 32, 33 AD, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. So the church, the church is less than 100 years old when he writes this paper. He writes it to the Roman emperor, Antonius Pius, and this is the way he described the believers of that day. So in this paper, what he does for the Roman emperor, is he says, okay, you have these different religions in your, in your kingdom. You have the Jewish religion, you have these Greek religions, and then you have the Christian religion. And I'm writing about all three of these. I want you to know the type of people that are in your, in your region. But he says, this is what he says about the Christian church. He says, they abstain from all impurity in the hope of recompense, that is to come in another world. Just notice that. They're following the apostles' teaching there. I mean, be ye holy as I am holy. And, and they're looking for the second coming of Christ. They're a part of another kingdom. He goes on to say, as for their servants, handmaids, or children. Now, those three there are the lowest class in society. Those are the ones you, you don't even know that they're there. They're invisible people. It says they persuade them to become Christians by the love they have for them. So they're reaching out to the lowest ones in society, wanting them to know about a risen Lord. And how do they do that? They will know we are Christians by our love. They, they love them. Ne next line. And when they have become so, when they have become Christians, they call them without distinction, brothers. So the lowest in society, the invisible people that come to faith in Jesus Christ, what do these Christians do? They raise them up to be a part of the family. They're family. They are at that level of being family. Next part of it, they do not worship strange gods or walk around in all, and walk around in all humility and kindness and falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. Just notice how he's, now that's the second time he said that. He wants the main thing about this Christian religion, this Christian church, is that they love one another. When they see a stranger, they bring him into their homes and rejoice over him as over a true brother. So a stranger is a foreigner, someone that's not of their tribe, someone that has come into their town, not of their group. But once they find out they're a Christian, they are a part of their group because of their connection to Jesus Christ. Um, when they, uh, for they do not call brothers those who are after the flesh, but those who are in the spirit and in God. So their, their way of calling somebody a brother is not because of genetics. It's not because of family name. It's because they call them brother, sister, because of Jesus Christ. That's why they call them that. That made me think, of, you know, we say that phrase, blood is thicker than water. You know, you ever say that? Yeah, blood's thicker than water. And what we usually mean, what we usually mean is your family ties are stronger than anything else. Okay, that's a false statement for a Christian. That's a false statement for a Christian unless, unless the blood that you're talking about is the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, ooh, yeah, say that again. Amen, okay. Yes, it, 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 unless you're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than anything. Anything. And then I thought about, well, you could flip that around again and say, well, if blood did represent human blood, but the water represented the water of baptism, not that baptism saves you, but that that is a time for a Christian to proclaim um, that they identify with Jesus Christ. He is their King and Lord and everything else. Well, then again, there we go. That, that statement would be false because our, our connection with Christ, however we want to describe it, is, is, is stronger than anything else. And that's what he's saying about the first century church. 
is that they identify with one another because of their relationship to Jesus Christ. Almost done here. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and if they have not an abundance of necessity. So here we go into that byproduct of service. So there's somebody that comes in and they need something, but we don't have the resources. We don't have the resources. What does this group of people do? They fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with necessary food. That's what he wrote about the Christian church, that they would sacrifice, that they would go without so that they could give this guy some food. Then he ends it this way. They observe scrupulously the commandment of their Messiah, and they live honestly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. What are they following? They're following the word of God. Now, after you read something as powerful as that, you, you just have to stop and say, you know, does that describe us? Does that describe the Christian church today? Would that, would that be how someone would write it to the, to the government of the day kind of thing? This is how we describe those who are call themselves Christians. So um, the word for fellowship is koinonia. You've probably heard that before. Koinonia means intimate community, means communion. Uh, koinonia is a, or is a compound word. So there's a root word, and the root word that you start with is the word with or in the company of. So that's the root word that you start with. But to get to fellowship, you have to add to it to, to make it fill it out. So you know how I like alliteration. So I'm in the company of somebody. I'm in the company. While I'm in the company of somebody, I find out that we have something in common, something in common, okay? We're both old, right? We're both old. We, we find out we're something in common, but then this, but we find out the thing that we're in common with connects us, connects us, and connects us at such a point that we are cemented together now. Okay, that's fellowship. That's fellowship. Let's go again. So you're in the same space. You're in the same space. You find out something similar between you. Then, you. then you realize the thing that you have similar is a stance that you hold, and then that stance that you hold makes you solid. That's what fellowship is. One more, uh, you're in the same place. You find out you're both peculiar, right? Right, Jen? Jean? Jean? We're both peculiar, yeah. And, uh, but, but in that peculiarness, that's King James Version, when in that peculiarness, you find out there you have a common purpose, and then you turn into paint. Have you ever done with that with paint? You take all these different colors and you pour them all together and mix them up. And what's it look like? Yeah, it's brown. It's always like mud, you know. But can you separate all those colors? No. No, you can't separate them again. It's, 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 that's how we are. We're paint. We are paint. What's happening here is we're going from the general to the specific. We're going from the exclusive to the inclusive. We're going from the wide gate to the narrow gate. And Matthew 7, 13 and 14, you read that passage in the um, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, few, few find the narrow gate and wide go down the road of destruction. So back to that verse, they devoted themselves to, that means they steadfastly were attentive to they were steadfastly attentive to the word of God. They were steadfastly attentive to the worship of Christ. They were steadfastly attentive to prayers to God. And they were steadfastly attentive to the fellowship of the believers. Does this describe us? See, we are a friendly church, but are we steadfastly attentive to each other and to the whole church group? As I said before, the friendly part is the first rung of the ladder. And it's a good wrong. I, I would assume every church would be a friendly church. But do we long to go farther than that? Well, how would you measure that? How would you measure that? Case study. So a case study is a story that could be true or not true, but it's said in such a way that at the end, it gives you a question and you have to evaluate how you would answer the question. Okay. Case study is Mary. Mary's a young adult, been going to a certain church for quite a while in a small group, but she, she's really disappointed. Um, her faith has been tested. 
Uh, she lost her job. Uh, her mother passed away. Um, her health has kind of taken a dive. So she goes to her small group and she shares this with her small group, looking for some support, something. But all she got from the small group was those polite platitudes. You know those, don't you? Yeah, those polite, that's all she got. She walked away disappointed. Um, one of her non-Christian friends said to her, why are you so sad? And her non-Christian friends listened to her. Her non-Christian friends um, asked questions. Her non-Christian friends said to her, um, hey, let's get together again. I, when can we meet next week? And set the appointment right there, kind of thing. She went back to her small group. She's still disappointed. And she said to them what was happening and that she was receiving this support from her non-Christian friends that she would hope that she would have gotten from her Christian friends. Now, here's the question. How would you have responded? If you were in her small group and she said that, how would you have responded? Would you, number one, respond in defensively? Defense, wait, wait a minute, Mary. We've helped you with this, 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 and this. And we, you know, and you get your old list to, to line down. Would you be defensive? Or would you deflect? You know, oh, Mary's always got this. She's always got a story, Mary, you know, you know, kind of thing. Would you have deflected? Or would you have gotten down on your knees and asked for repentance? Which one would you have been? Now, I have to follow the case story with a real story. I hate to tell this story, but I tell this story every time because I don't want us to be that church. So it was the third church I was in, and um, I was brand new there. I was still a young pastor, but they came out with wireless microphones while I was there. Oh, man, that was just amazing. I could take this thing anywhere in the sanctuary? Really? You know? And so we would have prayer and praise time. Well, a certain Sunday morning, there was an older man and an older lady that walked through the doors of the church. When they came through the doors of the church, I had not met them before. They came through the doors of the church. Everybody was excited to see them, like everybody was. I thought, wow. And so service started. We got to prayer and praise time. I said, anybody with a prayer or praise? And, 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 and this guy stood up. And so I headed back there with a microphone. His name was Lawrence. I found this out. His name was Lawrence. He used to go to the church. A couple years ago, he left. But he had been married to uh, his wife, Wanda. Wanda had gotten sick. She had cancer. She died of cancer. He left the house on the lake and went south. He just had to get out of, kind of out of the area kind of thing. And uh, while he was two years away, he met this beautiful lady, and they got married. And so this is his first Sunday back, and, and he's got Doreen with him. So he says, you know, everybody, I just want to announce to, you, to the church, you know, this is my new wife, Doreen. And everybody, you know, clapped, and, and that was really nice. And he said, one more thing, though. He said, one more thing. There's one more thing I need to tell you. He says, you know, when you go through the roughest times of your life, he says, you find out who your real friends are. And none of them were from here. Man, pin drop. And I'm standing there going, how do I get the microphone out of his hand? Yeah. Like, how do I segue out of that? What am I going to do? And the sad thing was, at that point in time, it was true. It was true. I hate telling that story, <laughs> but I don't want us to be that type of a church. When, when, when people have a need, they're, they're able to share that with one another, and they feel the fellowship that comes in from this church. So let me finish up here. Uh, the late Larry Crabb uh, wrote the book Encouragement with this man named Dan Elder, and he said three things. He said, avoid shallow words. Avoid shallow words. Like we said before, you've probably heard these, you know, um, I'll pray for you. Um, and, and, or I'll get, let's get together sometime. And it never happens. Or God will work it all out as you walk the other way, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, avoid shallow words. Um, eliminate death words. And if you study James, you realize the tongue can be a consuming fire. And, and I always include in our fingers can be, do some really damage. And then the third one, use life words. 
use life words. That Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, it, it goes back and forth between what's bad, what's good, what's bad, what's good, what's bad, what's good. And he tells a story on himself. He said, I was the, in ninth grade, he said, I, I, I was uh, class president. I was elected class president in ninth grade. So the assembly, they had to make a, take a pledge. And so the principal got up and said, repeat after me, I, Larry Crabb of Plymouth White Marsh High School, do promise. Now, he said, that's how it came out in the principal, how the principal said it. But he said, when I said it, he said, when I said it, I, I said, I, 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 I Larry Crabb, Crabb uh, of Pl- 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 Plymouth White Marsh High School, do, 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 do promise. And he said, by that time, there was snickering that was going on among the, you know, the, the students, and, and there were some teachers that were hanging their heads, and, and he said, I'll never do public speaking. Well, in their church, they would encourage the young men to um, pray at times. He said, I don't know why I did this one Sunday, but I got up there. And he said, as I prayed, my, my thoughts and my words got all mixed up. And he said, I, I, I prayed the Father on the cross, and I prayed that Jesus brought up the Spirit from the grave. <laughs> And then he said, I, I thought of the word amen. So I said, amen, and, and sat back down. And he thought I would be able to um, try to like exit before any, like an elder would come up and like want to correct me on this. And so he's trying to get out of the church. Well, an elder did catch up to him, put his arm around him. And he was thinking, oh, here goes, here goes. But the, he said, those words from that elder, I can say verbatim. And every time I think of it, there's a tear that comes down my face because he said to me, Larry, whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you a thousand percent. And he said those were life words. Those were words that changed the trajectory of his life because of that one elder and what he said. So here's last slide. To have true Christian fellowship, to be in intimate community with each other, being steadfastly attentive to each other, we must... Now, here's my four. The first one, we must take care of sin. You cannot have that kind of fellowship if sin lingers. And as Christians, we know what to do with sin because God gives us the instruction that when we sin, this is what we are supposed to do. But we cannot have that kind of fellowship if we allow sin to linger. Number two, we need to rearrange our schedules. The world has rearranged our schedules. They have rearranged our schedule so much that many times you are not going to have that kind of true fellowship if all you've whittled yourself down to is the only time that you're around the family of God is one hour on Sunday. It will not happen. You can't put it into a little tiny box to have true fellowship happen. So you have to rearrange your schedules. Third one, gather for serving. Everybody say for. Four, that's the main word there. When we hit the doors of the church, we have to have the mindset, why am I here? I am here to worship God, and I am here to serve others. I am here to love others. So instead of hitting the doors and going, well, I hope they play my song, or, or you know, I, I hope the pastor does a good sermon today because that's why I really want to hear, or something like that, you hit the doors going, oh, I got an opportunity to worship the Lord, and Lord, who are you going to bring in my path? Who am I going to meet today? Who, who do you want me to pray with today? You know, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm your willing servant as I come into this body because your body is so beautiful and, and I want to be used of you. And then number four, you pray for new stories. You pray for new stories. New stories coming out of this church that, that are about transformational changes in people's lives. And you start praying for those new stories. I'm, I got full of stories. One more. Um, so in Maine, church has been up there forever. Uh, Pastor Henderson uh, pastored that church for 50 years, 50 years, the only church he ever pastored. Um, they tell the story, and it's verified, I verified it. They tell the story about a, a lady who drug her husband into church. He didn't want to be there kind of thing. But Pastor Henderson worked with the men of the church, really got them to be a brotherhood and everything, and they did all kinds of things together. So this guy, the men just kind of sucked this guy in, sucked him right in, and he was handyman, 
and everything. So he, he started in on some of their projects that they were doing and all that kind of stuff. And so what was happening is his wife was dragging him on, on a Sunday morning. He was hearing faithful preaching from the word from Brother Henderson, Pastor Henderson, and, and he was hearing the singing of God's people. He was hearing people pray to God because every time these guys got together, they would pray before they did anything, you know. He got that. And then he was engulfed in the fellowship, especially of those men in the church. And so that church is about 300. It's a New England church, so it's kind of narrow and long, and it's more compact with a balcony and everything. There's 300 people in there. Pastor Henderson just got done with the sermon. He's just about to say, he's just about to say, please rise and we'll we'll have a closing prayer and sing a closing song. He's right at that moment. So there's that little bit of a lull in there. And lo and behold, this guy stood up amongst 300. And he said, Brother Henderson? And (laughs) pastor said, yes. He said, I need to get saved. And it pin dropped, but then just eruption of praise that happened that morning. See, that's a story you hold on to. I mean, that's a story you write in the history, okay? That's, we need to pray for new stories like that coming out of WCC. A campfire, come on up, Aaron. A campfire, I love tending campfires. You try to get them just right. The coals are just right and everything. But if you're tending a campfire, what happens sometimes? Sometimes a log will roll off. A coal will, will roll away from the flame. And you know what will happen next, right? It will start to smolder. It will lose its flame and everything else. I feel lots of times that's what's happened, especially over COVID, that there's some people that were in the fellowship and they've kind of just rolled away and they've gotten cold. And for those that we can, if we're good tenders of the fire, what do you do? You try to bring them back into the fellowship, the flame. Last thing here, the sign. I'm not saying, Mark, that this needs to go up on the sign, but We are not just a friendly church, but a church family striving to be more than just friendly, to be a truly a fellowship church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand, close in prayer, unless there's somebody that needs to get saved. Yeah. I'm always open for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, our opportunity to be in your house and to talk about something very important to the life of the church because it's in your word. And we do pray that you would help us to go beyond just friendly to being a fellowship church. In thy precious name, amen.